Thanks for tuning in to our Monday Night Godcast, an immersive and interactive discussion of the Bible. If you're listening to this right now, then I know for a fact that God has something for you. That's right, you. I'm glad you're here. Let's dive into God's Word and see what He has in store for us today. chapters, do two consecutive in the game night in between and throw in some holidays and yeah. some snow days and that'll be no, most of the year. And then as Zach suggested, we'll go axe throwing after we finish axe. <laughs> so, coming here at some point at the end of the year. Anyway. Depending on how many questions Jerry has about that, <laughs> might be here for two years. I want to start off with some backgrounds, actually, before we even get into it. Um... What do we know about Acts? Does anyone know anything about the book of Acts? One of the best books in the Bible? No. <laughs> Probably one of the most exciting. <laughs> no, Job is. Sorry. I'm reading Job right Romans now. Romans is Paul, right? Mm-hmm. So who wrote Acts? Does anybody know who wrote Acts? Luke. introduction. So, yeah, so Acts is the, the record of... Basically how the church got started yep. after Jesus left. The first two decades of the early church. Yep, yep exactly. So a lot, some, some Bibles call this book the Acts of the Apostles. Some books just call Acts. Um, but I mean, you could really call it like Acts of the Holy Spirit or Acts of God, Acts of Jesus, because um, that's really what it is. But yeah, this is, this is the beginning of the church. This is, this is what's, th- these are like, yeah, what you just said. This is like right after Jesus um, you know, was um, resurrected. This is, and you could finish off any one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and, and then pick up at Acts. So, Acts is written by Luke. Um, the book of Acts and the book of Luke were actually written as one book, um, as um, Luke's book. And, and then it was, wasn't until later when it was kind of like split um, to be two separate books, but um, what do we know about Luke? Do we know anything about physician? Luke? He was a physician. Yeah. What else? Not a whole lot. Luke. So I don't, so I don't think, I think that's the only gospel I have. He's 
detail oriented. Mm-hmm. Yeah, detail oriented. He was. He was. Say it out loud. He was not Jesus's favorite. He was not the fastest runner, and he was not the betrayer. <laughs> yeah. Um, he's also a much more. Um, he's kind of renowned to be the, for lack of a better term, like most well educated, um, mm-hmm. and so he's very. Um, and he approaches it from a different background. If you read like the accounts of Matthew, Mark, and John, um, Matthew comes at it from like speaking to the Gentiles, but Luke is talking to the Jews um, in the way that he writes and, and says things. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Luke, actually, to go off of that, Luke was not one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. He was just, he, he was one who who followed him, but he wasn't one of the twelve disciples. Um, Matthew and John were, but Luke and Mark were not. So, of the four Gospels, only two of them were actually of his twelve disciples. So, how did Luke come to write about the Savior's life and ministry? So, Luke is an interesting writer because he did not know Jesus Christ personally. He became a follower after the Lord's death. When Paul taught him in the gospel, sorry, when Paul taught Luke the gospel, Luke had been a physician. Uh, hold on, I'm, I'm misreading my stuff. He became a follower after the Lord's death when Paul taught him the gospel. Luke was a physician, and he left that the uh, profession to travel with Paul. He had the opportunity to talk with many of the apostles as well as others who were eyewitnesses to special events or moments in the Lord's life. In the first few verses of the book, Luke says that he's going to write the things that eyewitnesses and other teachers of the gospel had to say about the Savior. Apparently he had taken, he had the opportunity to talk to many who were present when the Savior taught or performed miracles. So everything written in the book of Acts, um, sorry, in Luke's gospel of Luke, was from eyewitness accounts that he collected firsthand. So everyone who was a firsthand witness of something, Luke wrote everything about it. So that's why we have, in the book of Luke, he starts off with the genealogy. And you can see, um, you know, all the way back. Ah, just kidding. That's not Luke. Um, oh, no, he did do that. That just wasn't chapter one. Um, but it's all the ancestors of, of Jesus, all the way back to Adam. So you can trace from creation all the way to Jesus, the whole lineage, um, in the book of Luke. Well, very detail-oriented. Um, he likely would have spoken to Jesus' mother, Mary, and many of the other um, disciples of, of, of Jesus. Um, so Luke has all these first-hand accounts. And, um, he didn't personally walk with Jesus, but he, he um, during during his ministry, but uh, but he has all these eyewitness accounts. Does Luke ever write a genealogy for Mary? I don't know if there is one. Um, I'm not sure. Luke I mean, has more of Mary's accounts in his okay. gospel. So, who were the other people that Luke interviewed about Jesus? The list would have been pretty long. Many of the people who knew the Savior would have still been alive and have remembered such important times in their lives. 
Paul mentions that about 500 people saw the Savior after his resurrection, and that most of them were still alive when he was writing to the Corinthians. That was in 1 Corinthians 15, 6. He talks about over 500 people had saw Jesus after he was resurrected. So Luke was a uh, devoted companion to Paul. We see that from um, different texts throughout Acts. We see that in Colossians 4.14, Philemon 24, and 2 Timothy 4.11, basically showing the companionship of Paul and Luke. Luke was a Gentile, a physician, and Acts was written between the years of 30 AD to 62 AD. And like I said, the, the book is known as the Acts of the Apostles, but it could have easily been written as the Acts of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, because that's what we see throughout this whole book. The book of Acts is a historical link between the bibliographical records of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then the epistles. The epistles are all the letters. That's the other 27 books um, making up the New Testament. Uh, oh, sorry, of the 27 books in the New Testament, 21 of them are epistles, or letters, written by Paul. So, Romans, written to the people of Rome. Colossians, written to the people of Colossia. Corinthians, written to the people of Corinth. And all, the, all those books are epistles. Those are all letters written by Paul. So, um, Acts is kind of like that, that connection, that link between Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all the accounts of the Gospel of, of Christ, and all the epistles, all the letters of writing to the church, acts as kind of that, that middle historical link between the two. It's, a, and it's an extremely important book um, that shows the death, uh, shows what the death of Jesus accomplished. And throughout the first 12 chapters of Acts, we'll see Peter as kind of the main character, um, besides Jesus and the Holy Spirit, who this and all this going on. But as far as the, the main person that we see in the book of Acts, Peter is the main character in the first 12 chapters. And then, in the final 16 chapters, Paul kind of becomes the, the major character of throughout. So you'll kind of see that, that switch after about chapter 12, and then through the rest of the book, it'll be, it'll be Paul. Did Luke also write or anything that Paul said? I thought like Paul had like an interpreter or someone. Or so I, heard, I thought I heard that before. Um, I don't like, know if that interpreter. I, I, I like some of the other books, sure. like it was Paul, but someone else wrote it. Oh yeah, some yeah, because Paul does write in um, some of his letters, like, like near the end of right at the end, like this is Paul in my Paul. handwriting, like giving you a farewell. So like yeah, sometimes they do have someone else like write for them. Before him. him. More of a scribe. Really. Yeah. I was wondering if that's yeah. Acts is, or is Acts just Luke's account of Peter? Uh, as far as I know, it's Luke writing it. Okay, because this isn't like Peter or Paul, and then Luke's just writing about as them. As far as I know, it's Luke writing it. Okay. But I haven't looked that far into it to see if it's anyone okay. else. So without further ado, anyone want to start reading the uh, Acts chapter 1, go through... Let's do nice and short. One through four. Uh, sorry, one through five. Anyone? Oh, dude, I'm just getting a better translation. Theophilus. The former 
treaties have I made both Theophilus. Yeah. Of all that Jesus began both to do and teach teach until the day in which he has taken up after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, Ye have heard of me, for John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Alright, so what's going on so far? What, what is that first book? Luke. 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 Mm -hmm. so that's, that's what he's talking about there. My first book, I told you about everything that Jesus did and he taught. I think he's also like telling us like the time he's writing all this. Mm -hmm. like it's like an introduction. I think he's trying to tell like, I think maybe like what's happening after. Like these are like events, like what, what happened just before the events he he's about to talk about. And what else is Luke saying here? About to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Yeah, tell him what, what's to come. In just a few days, you'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Spoiler alert, that'll be next week. Or literally, in a few days. It'll be, uh, yeah, I think it's 50 days. He was there for 40 days. Jesus was there after he rose from oh, the dead. Jesus, big chills there. But then after the ascension, it's. I'm getting ahead. Sorry. So in verse 3, he's saying, During the uh, 40 days after his crucifixion, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. He talked to them about the kingdom of God. So he's, he's telling them, and we, we would see that in Luke, and um, we even see that in in some of the other Gospels as well. We see that in John, um, when we went through the book of John together, it's probably been over a year at this point, uh, that we finished off John. Um, we see Jesus appear to the disciples after after he was resurrected. So he's kind of just giving them a little recap about that, like, hey, like, during, uh, after his crucifixion, he appeared to people and told them about the kingdom of God. Did Jesus ever speak to the disciples about the Holy Spirit before giving this command? Like, did, did, did the, the, the disciples know that the Holy Spirit was the gift? So he did talk did he just, about... Or did he just, like, he talked about the promise that the Father was bringing, but did he ever use, like, the word Holy Spirit, or... He said, he has said mediator before, um, which kind of alludes to someone or something so um he has told them before i don't recall exactly if he said the holy spirit but he did say a mediator there will be a mediator who will come and they're like you know when when i go there will be a mediator um and they were kind of like wait where are you going and he's like someone someone else will come essentially 
So what is he telling them to do in uh, verse 4 and 5? He wants them to wait. Basically, be patient. Don't be like, oh, well, he's gone. Then nothing's happened. He told us something would happen, and now it's not happening. But he's like, you gotta be patient. You gotta wait, because it will come. Mm -hmm. Just come. Yep. He's telling them to wait. He's saying, don't leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gifts he promised, as I told you before. Yeah, it's telling them to wait. You guys ever... I, I like to, and Yana can sort of attest to it, when I, I find something funny, I like to do it over and over again. So, you know, like a little, uh, little crosswalk, a little button that you push, trying to like make it turn from like a stop to like a, a walk sign. You push it, it's like, wait, 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 So, he's telling them to wait. He's like, basically, you're not really going to be able to do anything effective for the kingdom of God until the Spirit comes. So just, just hold tight. Just hold on. Um, because there was Jesus. He was there with them. And now they're, they're just waiting. He's, Jesus told them, wait until the Holy Spirit comes. Don't, don't leave Jerusalem until the Father gives you the gift he promised. So if God is telling you to wait, it means that it's worth waiting for. To wait means that they had a promise. They had a promise that it would come. To wait means they must receive it. They couldn't create it themselves. And to wait means that they would be tested by waiting, at least a little bit. It shows how dependent we must be on the Holy Spirit when we're working for the kingdom of God. If the disciples who followed, fellowshiped, ate with, and heard Jesus spoke, if they couldn't advance Jesus' gospel on their own, what makes us think that we're any better that we can? We need the Holy Spirit with us as we speak to others and advance his kingdom, just as they need the Holy Spirit. Why did Jesus leave them? They, they were all asking Jesus that question earlier on of, like, why, why do you keep saying you're going to be leaving us? Like, where are you going? Like, why are you going to leave us? And, and they were confused throughout the whole time and probably were still confused for a while after even he was resurrected, honestly, and that he appeared. They were probably still confused why he left them. Why did Jesus need to leave? to receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus is, he was limited by his body, right? He was only one person. God, God is omnipotent, he's omnipresent, he's everywhere at the same time. Jesus, while he was on earth, he's just, he's just one man. He's fully God, but he's fully man, so he, he can't be in two places at once, like God the Father can. God is everywhere, can oversee everything. Jesus was just not just man, but Jesus was a man who was limited to an earthly body. He could only be in one place at one time. If 12 disciples wanted to talk to him all at the same time, he couldn't speak to them all at the same time. Now that's why the Holy Spirit had to come instead, so that we can have access to God. Everyone can have access to God. I can be praying, Jackie can pray, and everyone can be talking to the God at the same time. But if that were the case, if, if we didn't have the Holy Spirit and we only had Jesus here still, like that would be pretty cool. 
But also, we couldn't all talk with and commune with him at the same time. He'd be limited to, all right, form a line and one person come to me at a time. Like, oh, I need to, I need to get my parents to Jesus. And they go wait in line for like 35 days for all these other people to talk to him first. It's like, you can talk right now through the Holy Spirit as the mediator. So that's why Jesus left, and that's what he was trying to tell them earlier on. Like, I need to leave. It's going to be better for everyone if I leave. Alright, verses 6 through 11. Who wants to take that? I can read it. Go for it. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witness in Jerusalem, and all in Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Awesome. Comments, questions? Who's they? Who's they? At what point? Like the when they say verse eleven. Mm-hmm. I think that's the apostles who were with Jesus. Verse six says, "When the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, when has your." Uh, has a time come for you to free Israel and restore a kingdom? And is that that point he responded there? Like, y'all won't know the time and day. And then as he was saying that, then he was taken up into the cloud. So the apostles, they is the apostles as they were watching him being ascended. But then in 11, when it says, they said, men of Galilee, that's the angels speaking, if I'm understanding that correctly. Oh, sorry, yeah. In yeah. 11. Yes. They said, men of Galilee. Oh, okay. That's the angel speaking to the apostles as they're gazing into heaven. Anyone else? Questions? Observations? And what just happened? The apostles were actually looking into heaven. Like, quite literally. Yeah, as a strain to see him rising into heaven. Yeah, I mean, two white men suddenly appeared, suddenly stood among them. Why are you standing here, standing into heaven? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe they, maybe there was a, a portal that they saw. I, I don't, I don't know how, how that worked. I, I hadn't thought about that. See, Warren just says looking into the, the or the at least that's what NIV says. I was reading. Yes, sure, that, sure. that's kind of like, mine says that too in NLT. I was kind of thinking like the heavens, as in like just looking up because that's where he. Yeah, the white man he gazing going. into heaven. Yeah, that's what the King James version says. Mm-hmm. What does he? What does he mean by the way you take him from into heaven? You know, come back the same way. Go in. We heard of, you have seen him 
he'll come back the same way you've seen him go into heaven. Mm-hmm. It just means he's going to come out of heaven. Yeah, he's he's going to come back on a cloud mm-hmm. in the same way he left. It was like a cloud that just came up at his feet and just lifted him up. And yeah, so I was saying... And he's going to stay on the cloud when he comes back. When he comes back, exactly. When he comes back again at the second coming, eventually oh, to come, that's what you're saying. you'll I see him come. Out. Riding on a cloud. I like where it says the, the same Jesus. I think that's I the point maybe so. it's trying to make. Say, um, that when you see the Messiah come back, it's not going to be a different Messiah. It's not going to be a different person God sent. It's going to be the same Jesus that was in Jerusalem that it will be in Columbia, what, Maryland. What's the question? Or, uh, she was asking where that's written about him. Riding on a cloud. Oh, it's Revelation. Oh, Revelation? Pretty sure. So, We're they're asking about uh, when Jesus will restore his kingdom. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? The question was asked many times beforehand. Um, but right now it had a, a special relevance to it. They knew that Jesus had instituted a new covenant. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read one verse to you guys in uh, Luke 22. This is Luke 22, verse 20. It says, this is at, this is at the Last Supper. Uh, After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice to you. So he has instituted a new covenant with them. And so they're asking, and they knew that, um, sorry, they, they knew that Jesus had instituted a new covenant. They also knew that the restoration of the kingdom of Israel was part of the new covenant. And you can see that in Jeremiah 23. Ezekiel 36, Ezekiel 37, it talks about what's to come with the new covenant of the restoration of Israel. So they're like, okay, so we know there's what's to come with the new covenant, and we know you just told us that there is a new covenant, so when are we going to see what's supposed to happen? When are we going to see this restoration of Israel? So they're asking a legitimate question, and, and not just as they were asking before, like, hey, when will this happen? Now they're like, okay... It's happening, so when are we going to see the outcome of this? They were also expecting freedom from Rome. They're expecting a militant. Yeah. Yeah. Which wasn't a, through which wasn't freedom. They knew that uh, many Old Testament prophecies describing the spiritual and national rebirth of Israel. So they're waiting for that to come. So why doesn't Jesus share the Father's timeline with his disciples? Why do you guys think that is? He's claiming he doesn't know. Hmm? He's claiming he doesn't know. He says he doesn't even know. What was the question? Why Jesus tells them, why he doesn't tell them when. Could you imagine if he told them the year that it would happen? How discouraging that would be? They're about to go, mm, I mean, they don't know it yet, they're about to go die for Jesus. They're about to all put out their, their own lives to, to be martyrs. Could you imagine how much harder it would be to be like, I don't know the year, I'm just going to throw out a random year. In the year 3025, God, please don't let me take that long. <laughs> In the year 3025, 3,000 years from now, I'll come back. They're going to be like, 
Jesus. No, we need this now. We need this like yesterday. We need you to restore Israel. We're not going to, we can't wait 2,000, 3,000 years. Like, we need this now. But I guess if he's coming in a few thousand years from now, I should go, you know, martyr myself for his cause. Mm-hmm. I mean, we know it's already been 2,000 plus years. Mm-hmm. But it wouldn't have been wise for him to outline his plan to over the next 2,000 years to be like, hey, you know, there's going to be some ups and downs and a few hundred years, a few thousand years, another thousand years, and like... Also, could you imagine the anarchy? Like, imagine if, like, the Bible did give a specific date that, like, he was coming back and the end of the world was coming. Like, this became, like, for the anarchy before that day would be insane. I could just imagine. So I think maybe that was a good idea he left that out. And it's all... Everything had just happened. He had died. They were with him. Mm-hmm. He died. Three days, they're like, he's dead. And then he came back, and he's there with them for 40 days walking. And then he just ascended into heaven. So they're thinking, he's coming back. He's coming back pretty soon. I mean, they don't know when, but they're hoping that it'll be mm-hmm. soon. I think there's something to be said also for the specific way that he says it. It's not for you to know mm-hmm. times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. It's kind of like... I almost imagine him being like putting his hand out and be like, look, it's not for you. You don't need to know. It's not for you. And it's a humbling moment for them of like, I am God and you are not. This kind of idea of like, you either trust me that I have it in hand or you don't. And there's this decision that they have to come to of like, are you in it for me? believing that I am who I say I am or are you not mm-hmm. um, yeah that's that's part of what I read from that it's, good. It, it's interesting to think that God is all knowing yet Jesus apparently isn't in this particular case mm-hmm. uh, just now kind of think about mm-hmm. that but you know mm-hmm. yeah. see I don't know if it's my translation but I'm not seeing where you're seeing that he doesn't know the time yeah, so he doesn't he doesn't say that here. He says that before he um, dies. So that's back in like mm-hmm. the five cut. Uh, right. That's back when it says no man knows the day or the hour, not even me. Mm-hmm. Is in Matthew like, like twenty four or whatever. It is. Like only the father but then now he's been raised from the dead. It doesn't. He doesn't say. He doesn't know here. Mm-hmm. He says it's not. They, he's like. It, it's none of your business. <laughs> like, right. Talk to Nanya because that's that's the, who you should be having a conversation. That's a good point. But. So he might know in this yeah. situation. He might know now. Yeah. Which I think, like, the reason why he is telling them that it's not for you to know. I think, like, what you were saying is it's not for us to know. Like, if if Jesus knew, which he might not, or I don't know. But for us to know, I like, it might affect our faith, and it might affect just how we. Our relationship with God. I mean, think I mean, of how many things that you've asked God that you still don't know the answers to. Mm-hmm. It's like, it think, I, th- I think about it today, like all the time, like when like something like either good happens. I think like, I wonder if I prayed for this before. Like, wonder if like a year ago I prayed, I just forgot about it, but God never forgot about it, and now He's fulfilling that promise that I don't even thought about, and I thought always nothing about sometimes. I don't know. Like, I want to read um, verse eight again. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, 
and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now I'm going to read it again with enunciation on some other word, on some of the words. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Is he... He's not really giving a command. It's more of a, a statement of a fact. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be a witness. You will receive the Holy Power, the Holy Spirit. You'll be witnesses. The words are they're more so telling, not an obligation. The way it's written, it's in the indicative, not the imperative. It's Telling them, not recommending, and I suggest maybe you become a witness. No, he's saying, like, they will become a witness. And if we want to be witnesses, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The best training program for evangelism is of little effectiveness without the filling of the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, not too useful for the gospel, for the kingdom. Says you need to be you, you will be filled with Holy Spirit. Receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So verse 8 also says, in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The progress of the spread of the gospel message from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth actually becomes the outline throughout Acts. <laughs> Actually. <laughs> So, Acts 1 through 7 describes the gospel in Jerusalem. Acts 8 through 12 speaks of the gospel in Judea and Samaria. And Acts 13 through 28 tells of the gospel going to the ends of the earth. So, what he's saying here isn't just like, yeah, go like here and there and there and like everywhere else. That's actually what we're about to see here. It's, he's not just recommending it, they're taking it as this is what we're going to do. So Acts 1-7, through 7, again, talks about it going through Jerusalem, then 8-12, through 12, through Judea and Samaria, and 13 through the end, to the ends of the earth, just as he said. So, what, what do you guys, do we know anything about these specific places? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria? Anyone know anything about any of these places? Religious hotspots. They have, they have, they probably have some objections to going to some of these places. Yeah, not big, not big fans of each other. Yeah. Mm, okay. So Jerusalem was where Jesus was executed, at the word of an angry mob. Judea is where um, they they just rejected his ministry altogether. Samaria was regarded as a wasteland of impure half-breeds. In the... And then in the other parts of the earth, the Gentiles were seen by some Jews of that day as nothing better than... Well, this is someone else's words here that I'm going to read. Uh, the Gentiles were seen by some Jews of that day as nothing better than fuel for the fires of hell. Cool. To, to be as rash as they... as much as they hated them. But God wanted 
a witness sent to all these places, and the Holy Spirit would empower them to do his work. So these specific places, it's kind of giving them like a guideline. These people hate me and they killed me here. Go take my gospel there. These people rejected me. Go take my word back over there. These people hate your guts. Go take my word over there. Everyone else, they don't like you guys. Go take my word everywhere else too. That's what he's saying here. That part that's really easy to just skip. Okay, take me. Oh, Holy Spirit, this power. Okay, go take it to all these other places. Like These places were rough places for people who were following Christ to go to. But it was important for Jesus to leave his disciples in this manner. In theory, he, cer he certainly could have just simply vanished into heaven um, in the Father's presence in like a secret way. You know, he's, we've seen him plenty of times just kind of like disappear in the crowd and just kind of like hide away from everyone. But by ascending in this manner, Jesus wanted his followers to know that he was gone for good. As opposed to the way he would just appear and reappear during the 40 days of his resurrection. So there were times where like they're behind locked doors and then Jesus just appears and was like, hey guys, <laughs> what's up? Um, Jesus' words to his disciples in John 16, 7, saying, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Now the disciples could know that this promise would be fulfilled. The Holy Spirit was coming because Jesus promised them the Spirit when he leaves. So actually, Gary, that answers your question from earlier. John 16, 7 is where he had said it at one point also, and there's other places too. It's to your advantage that if I go, then you know the Helper can come. But if I don't depart then, you know, you guys won't have this helper. Mm -hmm. All right, let's keep going. Um, uh, let's just finish it off. Anybody want to finish it? 12 through the end? 12 to 26, or, or go halfway and popcorn it? I'll read through 14. Yeah. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they arrived, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, they all were continually united in prayer along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was all in was in all about 120. And said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us, and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field, with the reward of his wickedness and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to the inhabit all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So one of the men 
who have accompanied us during all the time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us. One of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of which one of these two you have show, chosen to take the place of in this ministry and apostleship from which Jews turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them. And the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Awesome. Can someone recap what just happened there? You just got replaced. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Judas, after he betrayed Jesus, he the the guilt and shame got to him. He went off on on a ledge, hung himself, rope snapped. He fell to well, if he wasn't already dead, he died on impact. If not already by hanging himself, um, got spilling everywhere. Um, and so now they're down to eleven disciples. Um, so they're like. Let's fill his spot. So they cast lots, aka roll the dice, or eh, pretty much rolling dice. Um, fun fact: This is actually the last time that we'll see in the Bible of them of, of anyone casting lots. From there, then it's um, you know, they have the Holy Spirit after this. So um, from there, then. You know, we don't see any more casting of lots. Uh, perhaps it was still a uh, notable reliance on God. Though they weren't yet filled with the Holy Spirit as they soon would be, they still wanted to choose a method that would make them rely on God. Perhaps they remembered uh, Proverbs 16.33. May we throw the dice, but the Lord determines how they fall. So they don't have the Holy Spirit yet to guide them in this situation, so they, they do what they know as of this point. They cast lots. They roll dice to say, okay, is it going to be Matthias or who's the other person? Joseph. Joseph. And it was Matthias. Any other thoughts, comments, questions on that section there? I like when it says uh, the number of names together were about 120. It just kind of cracks me because there's been other times in the Bible where he gives like an exact random number, and like now he's like, nah, it's about twenty hundred. Somewhere in the neighborhood. Somewhere in the neighborhood. Like, well, what about like the fish or like the like some of the numbers uh-huh. that's like down to like the one digit? I'm like, yeah. Why? How, how did who, who counted that? I don't remember if it was like, it was, like was, the, it, was it, it was the like fish the fish where it was like I don't know four hundred fifty nine fish. Like it was like, you know, like, like I'm just giving random. It was like four hundred fifty three. I'm like, who counted the fish? Mm-hmm. It was the leftover fish. That's what it was. The leftover fish. And it's some absurd number. I'm like, I don't think it gives the actual number for that. It says twelve bushels or whatever. But but anyhow. Either way, but there's other numbers, and it just says about. And I was like, it's just funny. I, yeah. I just think I think it's funny, like or not funny, but I think it's cool or funny. I think it's funny how God just chooses when, like, just chooses when to give us information and not to give us like, what was the what's what's the difference between giving us a certain number this time and not giving us a certain number this time when it seems to us. It's the same thing, but well, this was, uh, God clearly this sees was a Luke bigger picture. It, though. This was that Luke is true. Maybe, maybe of, Luke of didn't. The pres- of what was happening. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but this is but the divine intervention with the Bible. And I don't know. 
did Seattle, but <laughs> uh, no, I, I don't have an answer to that as to why sometimes it's cool. sometimes it's like yeah, it's about this many, and then sometimes yeah, it's like there were yeah. exactly this many. It kind of. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, even sometimes yeah. then it will go, yeah, you're right, you shouldn't do this, but it's not like you're yeah. not going to die if you don't do it. But then it's like, if you don't do this... It's kind of like, question. Why, would they have, why did they have to replace through this? So they were they were going mm-hmm. off of um, what it said in... Uh, uh, in verse 20. Peter continued, This was written in the book of Psalms where it said, Let his home become desolate with no one living in it. And it also says that someone else take his position. Mm. So, actually, so the reference there to that is Psalm 69, 25. Yep. Do you already have that pulled up? Uh, not yet. It, there's actually a couple different references. It's also like 109. Yeah, I see that one too. Like that. So, Psalm 69, 25. Well, it says just that. Let their homes become desolate and their tents be deserted. If you're wondering why I knew that reference off the top of my head, it's because I may or may not have seen people post it for, like, political reasons. Because oh. they want whoever oh. is currently in office. And this has happened for, like, 20 years or whatever. That somebody, like, puts that verse up and they're like, let somebody else take his office. So in uh, <coughs> Psalm 108.8, it says... 109... Oh, sorry. Yep, my hand was covering <laughs> Psalm 109, 8 says, Let his years be few. Let someone else take his position. So it's... That's what they're going off of. And it's not just a random verse that they're like, Oh, hey, this one. But it's, 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 it's as though it's talking about him. Uh, if you actually read Psalm 109, it's... Mm-hmm. Oh God, whom I praise, don't stand silent and aloof. When the wicked slander me and tell lies about me, they surround me with hateful words and fight against me for no reason. All those things we say about Judas. I love them, but they try to destroy me with accusations, even as I am praying for them. They repay evil for good and hatred for my love. They say, get an evil person and turn against him. Send an accuser to bring him to trial. When his case comes up for judgment, let him be pronounced guilty. Count his prayers as sins. Let his years be few. Let someone else take his position. His children become fatherless, and his wife to the widow. So all this—it's—it's it's as though it's a prophecy. Psalm one hundred nine. So it's—it's it's like it was a prophecy about which there's a lot of prophecy in the Old Testament about so that things to like come. Or, so this was this was one of them. Of speaking of, I guess speaking of uh, Judas. So they're saying like we need to replace him. Was it Barabbas the guy that we put on trial with Jesus? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, so that's one one hundred nine, and it was sounded like. Barsabbas. Barsabbas. Yep. Then there's Barnabas. That's what I was like. I always got confused. Barnabas. When, when I was when I heard, heard Barnabas, I was like, Wait, isn't that the, the Who, fun fact? Kind of like uh, Barnabas's name is actually Joe, Joseph. And Barabbas, who was on trial with Jesus, his name was Jesus Barabbas. And Jesus Barabbas. And also, there are two Thomases, was like Jesus three Andrews, name? two Jesus. Mary. <laughs> <laughs> if, if it wasn't complicated enough. Yeah, I remember. You read you read uh Genesis and you see all these names and you're like, what the heck? And then like Why do you, you get to Matthew said, Mark Luke, it's like Mary, 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 John, John, John. Why do you think they said Joseph of 
Nazareth. Exactly. <laughs> you can have any name you want as long as it's John, James, or Joe. Right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, any other questions, comments, observations? Um, um, go for it. <laughs> um, I really like that in, like, after, you know, in, in verse 20, that, like, they go all the way back to the Old Testament, and it's, like, confirming how even the things that were said back then, it's being fulfilled now. And then how in 21, they have, like, very specific, um, I guess, like, criterias or qualifications for who can re replace Judas. It can't just be, you know, Joe Smo from, like, you know, the little corner of the street over there. Um, it has to be a person that has been traveling with them who has been, you know, baptized mm -hmm. by John and, like, a witness, and they, they will be a witness of Jesus' resurrection and stuff. And then they have these two men, and then, like, instead of them just from there um, casting the lots, no, they pray first and ask, you know, God, like, hey, this is kind of the way that we are going to go about making this decision, but I, God, we want to have your blessing from here. And then, you know, who knows, like, what they felt or if Jesus, in a way, spoke to them, like, in their hearts before it says that right after they cast the lots that they chose um, Matthias or whatever. But I thought that's so cool that, you know, like, very specific. Um, and I love their, their heart attitude of, like, praying first and then doing what they you know, we're accustomed to, to make decisions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, they, they did pray. That's a good point to mention. That they didn't just like, all right, let's just roll the dice and <laughs> see what happens. But no, they, they prayed about it. Um, and they prayed, oh, Lord, you know every heart. Show us which of these men you have chosen. And notice that it's, which one are you choosing, Lord, mm -hmm. as an apostle to replace Jesus? Now, don't go to the horseshoe or to live casino and be like, oh, Lord, which number on this table should I pick? Twelve! Let's put in all the money on twelve, but Lord, make the decision. And, like, that's not... <laughs> don't go, don't go yeah, casting lots at the casino. Yeah, a couple things. Uh, first off, it it's interesting because there's, like, about 120 of them there, right? Mm -hmm. um, and the disciples narrow it down to two. They're like, all right, it's mm -hmm. one of these two. All right, we're gonna gotta figure it out. Mm -hmm. um, but really, what's interesting here to me is Peter taking charge and just being like, all right, it's like this is we're gonna make this thing happen. Um, and this is exactly what Jesus talked about, right? When he says, like, I tell you, like Matthew 16, I pulled it up just for the fun of it. Um, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell, hell shall not prevail against it. Um, and, like, well, actually, I'll, I'll back up a little bit, but that's, that's when Jesus asks him, hey, who do you say, who do people say the Son of Man is? And he's like, who do you say I am? And he says, you're the Christ, Son of the living God, like, obviously. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Uh, right? So he says, Simon Barjona, not Peter. He says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. So he gives him that name and says, You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Peter means rock. Um, 
and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosened in heaven. And he strictly just uh, charged his disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. But effectively, he kind of um, shaped everything from there um, of how it was going to go down when he left um, and put Peter in charge until he gets back. Yeah. I have more to add. Go this on. is going on to why Judas had to be replaced. Um, he had to be replaced, um, and it was Matthias who replaced him. And not only is it because they're honoring and remembering what was said before, but also that, that they were fulfilling what was to come after. So in Revelation 21, 14, Judas's replacement was required. And Revelation 21, 14 says, though all of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Mm. So if they had 11, that, God could still work with that number, but that's not what God had in mind, you know? Um, and then for Ephesians 2, 19 through 20, um, the foundation was built on the apostles and the prophets, and Ephesians 2, 19 through 20 says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. So again, like it's not just remembering what was written, but also completing and fulfilling what needed to happen, what had to come to pass. Awesome. Yeah. What was that uh, Revelation reference? Revelation twenty one fourteen. And Ephesians two nineteen. Three twenty. Mm -hmm. Cool. Thank you. Mm -hmm. That's good. I cannot take the credit, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> to God be the glory. say of all of Acts chapter 1 is probably the least exciting because it's just kind of setting the scene. Mm -hmm. I'd really say like in chapter 2, Holy Spirit comes, so that's pretty cool. And then from 3 on, there's a whole lot of miracles and crazy stuff happening. And arguments. Um, and all of which, Jesus has personally said, you guys can and will do all the things I've done and greater. So, all these things to come that we're going to be reading throughout the next like several months keep in mind like peter and you can just read like the the subtitles peter heals a crippled beggar and you know like all these things and we can do those same things and greater through the through power of the holy spirit uh, that's what this whole thing is about it's about the acts of the holy spirit the acts of jesus um, it's not just what the apostles did, but it's how God used people and or people. So, cool. Now I'm excited to, uh, to go through Acts with you guys. It's been a while since I've read Acts, so um, curious to see what I've forgotten since last time, and uh, yeah, see see how God moves. Yeah, and I love hearing from you guys too, because I mean I learned just as much as you guys do, and I'm. I'm reading through it, you know, just like a week before you guys and going through stuff. So everything I'm 
speaking and stuff, but I'm just learning also. So, um, cool. Uh, Guy, thank you for this evening. Thank you um, for this awesome group of people who come together and spend their Monday nights here. And, um, yeah, Lord, bless this time together for all of us. And bless this basement, bless this house that becomes um, not just some, some walls and a couch and some chairs, but, Lord, that this, that this is a safe and, and holy place um, for your presence to, to dwell. Not just on Mondays, but, Lord, every other day of the week. Um, I just ask for your continual blessing over this house to to be a, a safe place for anyone and everyone to come to, to hear your word, uh, to feel your presence, and um, yeah, that great things would happen here, and that this would just be the, the start uh, of, of many things to happen. Lord, let this let this uh, lower room be like the upper room where, where your presence filled the place. Um, God, I have uh, high hopes and expectations for, for what you will do in 2024 for each one of, one of us, each one of us here. And, um, yeah, I'm excited for this year of uh, Bible studies that we're starting off. And um, thankful so much for each person that comes here. And pray for protection for everyone and that everyone is able to remember that they are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Not just on Sundays, not just on Mondays, but, Lord, on every other day of the week, too, that the Holy Spirit, who, who raised you from the dead, is literally living inside of them right now. And that we can do so many great things through your Spirit. Thank you, God, for, for who you are and for what you've given to us so freely. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for listening. It's always a good time when God's presence is with us. I hope you enjoyed it and that you tune in again for the next episode of the Monday Night God Podcast.